Good morning, everyone, and welcome to City of Hope Church Sunday Service Online. This is our ninth week that we've been doing this uh, Sunday Service Online, and hopefully this is actually our last week that we're going to be doing it uh, only online. We're, we're, we're believing that next week we're planning uh, that we'll all be in here for, for an in-person service. And of course, if you're, if you're still wanting to just join us online, that'll be readily available to you as well. But we'll be getting information to you uh, this coming week about how we're going to plan to do all of those things. So we're looking forward to being with you once again. But also, we're so glad to be with you here this morning. We pray that the Lord would, would bless you where you're at and where you're listening. Now, last week we spoke about specifically about about. God's character that he wants to develop in us during these times. We talked about kindness and the law of kindness and the fruit of, of the Spirit, which one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. Now, as we're, as we're beginning to pray about coming back into just the regularity of what we would consider life and, and, and doing things as before, and, and we're reopening, and, and, and we're praying for restoration and transformation, and we're believing that God is going to bring restoration and transformation as we move back into uh, this, this, this new way of life. Things are going to be different, but we're praying about it. And, and we've talked about, even this past Wednesday, we talked about you know, the, the character that God is trying to, de to develop in us in these times because these are difficult times like these are things we were taken by surprise nobody planned uh, 2020 to be like this and and whenever the pressure comes down on you sometimes certain things come to the surface and oftentimes even as Christian people we are we're, we're moved and we're tempted to operate in the works of the flesh rather than the fruit of the spirit now this morning I want to speak to you uh, go a little bit deeper but I want to talk to you about goodness now that seems like a very vague subject or just a very general subject and and, but, but I want to unpack it and really uh, help us to understand what the goodness of God is specifically, but also what, what goodness is when it becomes a fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. Now in Galatians 5.22, the Scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness is one of the nine fruits of the Spirit. And here's, here's the truth. We need a counterculture in a time of brokenness. The brokenness of our world, if you, if you ask me, it's been magnified. And what we see now is that we have a political system that is obviously broken. We have uh, an economic system that is breaking down, and breaking down and broken. We have our educational systems that seem to be breaking down. And so many things that are broken in our world are, are being magnified at this time. We see that, that sometimes family issues are increasing. Depression is increasing across our our nation and, and we see increased brokenness and even during this time we've seen dreams and hopes and people's futures in, in some sense they seem like they're broken and we're wondering whether or not they can even be repaired and and when this stuff starts to happen when we start dealing with different uh, levels of brokenness and different things happening in our life sometimes our hearts can get so heavy that we have a hard time bearing the weight of what's going on around us and when I look at, at, at the world and what this virus has done I think here in southeastern Kentucky I mean largely in comparison to like what's going on in New York City per se or the, the virus has not affected us like that because we've just not been had that many people infected and seen the kind of devastation that other places have had in mind. But when I read these articles and I hear about people that are dying and suffering and, and, and the economic turmoil and different things that people are dealing with, I think to myself, this cannot be what God had in mind. 
Anytime I see pain and suffering like that, my first reaction is this cannot be what God had in mind. That's, that's what I feel in my heart. And I believe that, that scripturally I have a basis to stand on when I feel that way, when I see the brokenness of our world. I don't believe that God delights in brokenness. I don't believe that He, he delights in human suffering or pain. I believe that's the reason why He sent Jesus is because He was trying to bring restoration to a broken world. He doesn't like it when we're crippled with anxiety and fear. He doesn't enjoy it when we're in sickness and pain and suffering. And that is not what a good God desires. And so when we talk about goodness, what does it actually mean? What does goodness actually mean? We need to talk about what it is, but we also need to talk about what it's actually not. And, and we need to understand what goodness is as a fruit of the Spirit. So here, let me get start out by giving you a couple of problems uh, when we talk about goodness. Uh, the first problem uh, when we talk about goodness is that we have actually reduced it to subjective opinion. And, and really in, in America, in our culture, we've kind of adopted this idea, this mentality that when it comes to defining goodness, each individual person should define for themselves what is good or what's not good in their lives. And that's really popular. And in our world today, honestly, the only thing that we have, if, if, you're, not, if you're not a Christian, if, you're not, if you, you don't follow the Bible as sort of a guide, a guide post for life, then, then all you have really to show you what's good are, are laws that say don't do this, don't murder someone. Don't steal. Don't rob. Don't do all these things. And so really all we have when it comes to laws and government and stuff like that is telling you what not to do. And, and, and you have very little of, of telling you what you should actually do and what is high morality or, 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 or doing good. And so really what goodness ends up being in our world is it's just relegated to if you don't break the law, then you're pretty much a good person. So if you don't kill anybody, you don't steal from anybody, then, you, then you're pretty much a good person. And so the good and the right is increasingly just becoming what is legal. And that's honestly a very weak definition of what is good. That's, that's sort of the opposite of what's good. It's telling you what not to do, but it doesn't go into telling you what you should do. And so the issue becomes that when everybody has their own opinion about what's good, and we see opinions going crazy right now. Everybody's got one, and everybody loves to share it on a regular basis. But when everybody has their own opinion about what's, what's good, it increases this exhaustion and there's confusion because everybody's got a different idea of what good actually is. And so when we're dealing that, dealing with that, it's like, it's like, okay, so we're supposed to follow our leaders, but even our leaders are making up their own versions of what's good. And you got two political parties that are trying to fight for power in our world, and ultimately they say that there are two different goods. And one says that these people are evil over here on this side, and the other side says, well, these people are evil over here. Why? Because they have different definitions of what is actually good, and it is confusing, and it is exhausting, and it, and it, and it just it gets, it gets to us deep down on the inside because we're looking for goodness. We're looking for what it's supposed to be. But another problem that we have is that, that we've stripped it of any real meaning, the word goodness or, or what good is. We've stripped it of any real meaning. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, is, is that sort of in America, everybody says, for example, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's all. They just use the word awesome, and we use the word good in the same way. And the point is awesome literally means it's awe-inspiring. It means that you've seen something that shocks you to your core, and it brings awe into your mind, into your heart, into your soul. It's really something that only God should be able to do to us, but we call everything awesome. We call a new pair of jeans.
Jeans Awesome. We call Taco Bell Awesome, and right now we're calling Walmart Awesome because they got 75-inch TVs that you can go buy. But listen, we've got a real problem in our world when Walmart and Taco Bell are all inspiring. Because God should be the one. But see, the problem is, is we just we don't know how to use words correctly. And I think with good, the word good or the word goodness, we say God is good all the time. Or we, or we even sing. And, and, and I believe that. I believe that's a good statement to say God is good all the time. But the, the problem that I see is I'm wrestling with people all the time that we can come to church and we can say God is good all the time. And we can say that as a statement and we believe it uh, to some degree. But it's sort of fuzzy because people are looking at our world and when they look at world they say but there's such pain there's such suffering what does it actually mean that God is good what are you what are you saying when you say that because when I look at the world it looks like there's not a whole lot of goodness out there like it's very very little and we so so we wrestle with that we wrestle with what is the meaning of this now let me tell you let me move to this and tell you what goodness is not because I think we need to know this as Christians and this is where we mess up sometimes. But goodness is not, number one, it's not moral superiority. Goodness should never lead us to viewing us or ourselves as better than the other person or better than them. And we, we love to make our preferences and our opinions good and everybody else's preference and opinions evil. And we love to compare ourselves with other people. And when we look at the problems of the world, man, we can sit down around a table and say, well, they should be doing this and they should be doing that. And, and man, I'm, I'm, we should put you in power. We should put you in control because you know what, the, what should, how we should run the economic system and you know how should, we should do all of those things. And here, here's the thing. Christians have their opinions and they talk about what is good and what they should do. And, and oftentimes they, they demonize others and they, 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 they have this, this pride of a moral superiority over the rest of the world. And here, here's the thing. What Christians should be doing right now, in my opinion, is they should be what James says, slow to speak, slow to anger, and very quick to listen. We should be slow to speak concerning our opinions when it's not, when it's not necessarily about Scripture and about what God would have us to do. And, and we, we should be quick to act in goodness toward others, but we should be slow to speak our opinion when it has nothing to do with the Word of God and it's only our personal preference. And... and when the Spirit of God produces goodness in, it, in us, it is not so that we can compare ourselves to, uh, with others and show or demonstrate, see, we're better than them. That's not what goodness is. When you're good, you are not trying to compare yourselves to other and, uh, others and elevate yourselves above others. Now, Jesus talked about this. In Luke 18, 9, Jesus talked about this, and he said it like this. I love what it says here in, in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness... And look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Notice that. There was a group of people, go back to the last verse. There was a group of people that were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. See, you can get into a religious facade. You can get into a religious motion where you begin to think that because you go to church, because you tithe, because you do something, 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 you're a good person and you can slowly begin to look down on everyone else. And I can promise you, even though you may be good in some areas, goodness never looks down on others. Amen. And so he goes on and he says, Jesus tells this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Go to the next verse, please. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth 
of all I get. See, the problem is that the Pharisee is comparing his righteousness, goodness, and performance to other people. But the whole point of the offering that they were supposed to be going to offer to God in Deuteronomy 26, it doesn't say anything about comparing your offering to others. It says that you're to bring your offering to God. It's not about you comparing what you do to other people. It's about you bringing your offering to God. What does God require of you? See, that's, that's the issue. The call to goodness is not just a call to follow some set of rules or to be a better person, but the call to goodness is actually a reversal of of this fragmented and broken world as it currently exists and bringing it back into a place of healing. When we look in the world and we, we see injustice, when we see racism, when we see hatred, when we see poverty or when we see inequality, these things are the opposite of goodness. And these things exist in our world because there is an absence of God's goodness. And see, when we start comparing ourselves to other people, we're really not comparing ourselves to God anymore. And I want to make this point to you when it comes to goodness. Jesus is my reference point. My goal is not to be better than you. My goal is to be like Jesus. So when I'm thinking about what's good, I'm looking to God because He is the one who defines what good is for me. Scripture defines for me what is good. I don't allow the world to define for me what is good. I don't allow a political party to define for me what is good. I allow God to define for me what is good and never in my goodness or in God's goodness do I compare myself to you because I'm not striving to be better than you. I'm striving to be like Jesus. He's my reference point. And so secondly... Secondly, goodness is not just a feel-good Disneyland ideal. Now, when I made that point, I kind of felt goofy after I made it, and that's no pun intended, even though goofy is down there at Disneyland. But goodness is not just a feel-good Disneyland ideal. And what I mean by that is I think sometimes when we say goodness, we just think of people like just uh, being all jolly and saying top of the morning to you and just smiling at you as you go through. But goodness is deeper than that. Biblical goodness is far deeper than that. It's not just like a Disney movie. But here's the issue is that when we think about about goodness and when you live a privileged life like me where you've where you've grown up you've never necessarily experienced real deep poverty and you've been isolated from the brutality and horrors of life and you've not seen real persecution I mean it's funny to me how America American church is is talking about being persecuted and stuff like that this is we, we are experiencing nothing even remotely close to the persecuted church that is truly suffering persecution throughout our world we have been We've been so privileged, so blessed, and I think sometimes we get isolated from real brutality and the real horror of life. And see, our idea of goodness doesn't really have a potency of, or, or power because it does not know how to stare into the face of true pain and suffering. It looks at that and it says, well, this, see, if this is going on, then how can there be any goodness? Because goodness should be like a Disney movie. There should be sparkles and there should just be, and everything should be going well. And see, we end up expecting that because God is good, he should go around like a genie waving his wand and fixing every problem. And that's a wrong expectation. That's not what God promised us, at least yet anyway. There is a day coming when it, when it essentially will be like that and, and Jesus will return and, and it will be like that. There'll be a full restoration. But right now, It's not there just yet. And a guy named Philip Yancey, he said this. He said, often when people pose a question like, what good is God? They are asking why God doesn't intervene more directly with more force. 
They're saying, look, if God is really good, why is He not jumping into this situation? Why is He not intervening? Why is He not stop? Why did He let Hitler kill six million Jews? Why did He let these dictators throughout our world just bring violence and cause wars and destruction? And now in our world, people that haven't suffered any war at all, young people like myself are saying, well, why would God even allow something like the coronavirus to break out into our world. And I can think of several reasons personally. And, and these, are, these are thoughts that I've wrestled with. And I talk to people about this continuously. And obviously, there is all sorts of mystery wrapped up in this very question and why evil is, is, is ravaging the world. But see, here's the thing. God has intervened. Even in the Old Testament, He forcefully intervened. He brought law in among the people, but it still did not change the people's hearts and it could not restrain them. They were rebellious over and over and over again. It did not produce life faith in the Israelites. Now here, here, I don't understand why so many things happen in this world, but I do believe that I understand this, and th this is the point that I understand, is that God constantly leans toward human freedom. And what do I mean by that? I, I, mean, I mean that we do not fully take into account this amazing responsibility that we have as God's image bearers in the earth. When God created this world, He said, listen, you guys are good. And He proclaimed over us that we were good when He created us. And He made us in His image. And He's essentially saying that because you are in my image, you are my ambassadors. You are to steward this creation. And we have a responsibility for what takes place in this world. And God does not override human freedom. He constantly leans toward human freedom. He doesn't control us. See, He could intervene. He could control me right now. He could stop me from doing the evil that's in my heart. He could stop that, but He leans toward human freedom. And if He did stop me and He overrode my human freedom, I would cease to be human. I would no longer be a free creature of God's. And these things would break down. So yeah, there's a lot of mystery wrapped up into why this evil is at work now and, and how does that even play out when God finally vanquishes it. But here's what we got to know is that God's goodness still remains real in an evil world. And what does that look like? What does it mean? Because we can all, all agree that, man, this, this, okay, Clay, this idea of goodness, you, you, you got me. Uh, it, it's distorted. We don't fully understand. So what is goodness then? Now, goodness is interesting because here, here's what's crazy about the word goodness. We use it all the time, but when Paul wrote that one of the fruits of the Spirit was goodness, he actually pretty much created a new word because the word for goodness in the Greek language was not used anywhere else in secular Greek. The word is, is a Greek word, agathosune, and it is only four times in the New Testament and nowhere else in secular Greek language. So he created a new word just to give us a biblical understanding of what was in the human heart when the Holy Spirit filled a person and God began to live in this person. Now, biblically, the idea of something being good cannot be separated from the purpose for which it was created. In other words, when God created everything, if you read back in the, in the beginning in Genesis, when He created everything, He said, this is good. And when we talk about things that are good, they are good because they are functioning as God originally designed them to function. And the reason things are not good, things are evil whenever they are no longer functioning as God created them to function. And see, goodness is about God. It's about who He is. It's about what He wants in our world. And it's about how He wants our broken world to be restored. That is what goodness is about. And so, again, what is biblical goodness? Number one, biblical goodness is redemptive. It's not passive. Biblical goodness seeks to redeem things. It looks at a broken world and it weeps. 
It doesn't try to ignore it. It doesn't try to step aside from it. It looks at a broken world and it weeps. And just like I said, in Genesis 1, God creates the world. He creates the humanity and he looks back. And when he looks at humanity, he said, this is very good, literally. He says, this is all good and this is very good. And he places Adam in the garden and he gives him all of creation and he says, you're to steward this and you have the same calling that I just demonstrated to you, that I took chaos and I brought order to it and I brought beauty and goodness out of it. We were to take, as human beings, we were to take the raw materials of this planet and this earth and take the chaos and order it and build it and renew things and in doing so glorify God and reveal his image in it. And he said, this is yours. I'm giving this earth to the children of men. And what happens here? What takes place here is on you because you have been deputized. You've been given my authority as my image bearers. And he's saying, I want you to steward this. I want you to reveal my goodness in the world. But see, humanity is called to do what God has did, but they failed and they were led astray. And here's the root of their sin. The root of their sin is they said, we want to determine what goodness is for ourselves. We don't want it for you to define goodness anymore. And so the root of evil is a desire to create goodness on our own terms. And that's what everybody tries to do. That's, that's what Satan says to them. That's what the serpent comes in and deceives them. And he says, he says, you can be as God or like God, knowing good and evil for yourself. You can decide for yourself what is good and evil. You can choose what goodness is on your own terms. And see, we know what evil is because it is a mutation. It is a broken image of what God originally designed for things to look like and things to be. And so when you see when you see a broken world, when you see sickness, when you see disease, when you see premature death, when you see hurricanes, you are not seeing acts of God. You are not seeing the works of God. You are seeing evil. You're seeing a distortion of goodness. You're seeing the works of the devil that the son of man came to destroy. And that needs to be a fundamental belief in the human heart. That needs to be a fundamental belief in every Christian heart to identify those things as evil in the world. The coronavirus is evil. It is a distortion of goodness. The fear and the panic is evil. It's a distortion of God's goodness. We weren't designed to function out of that fear. We weren't designed to function in those ways. And so all of those things are breaking out in the earth. And see, when Jesus comes, he comes to release God's goodness and God's purpose to restore the brokenness and bring all creation back to its original intent. And when Jesus appeared, I preached this a few weeks ago, the new gardener. Jesus shows up in a garden the same way that God placed Adam in a garden. But see, Jesus was the new gardener. He was the second Adam. And he shows up on the first day of the week in a new garden to basically say, look, I've not abandoned abandoned creation just because it's shot through with evil now. No, I have come to bring about a new creation. That's why the scripture says that he starts with your human heart. And he says, now, behold, you are a new creation. Creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. It begins on the inside of us. And through that, we begin to change the world around us and reorder creation. That's what we're trying to do. God is trying to put us back to our original intent that we can change the world around us. We can change our family. We can bring order into the chaos of our family and the world around us and restore it and bring healing and bring redemption and bring it back to its original Purpose. The scripture says in Acts 10, 38, one of my favorite verses, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about 
doing good. I always read that and I thought, man, that just seems superficial. Surely they could have come up with something better. But when I understood biblical goodness, I began to understand that doing good is when he was, go he was going about. People were not designed to be filled with demon spirits. He cast them out. He was doing good. People were not designed to not be able to walk, to, to, to not be able to see. He opened their eyes. He made the lame walk. He was doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was doing good. Biblical goodness is restoring back that which is broken in your life, in my life, even, even in our world and in our economy. I mean, he wants to bring, release his goodness. That's what I feel. That's what I sense is that God is desiring to release his goodness into your life and use you to release that goodness to the rest of the world around you so that there, there can be healing, there can be restoration, there can be redemption. Now, let me tell you something. All of that, all this, this whole thing is not going to be totally redeemed and restored until Jesus himself returns. And we long for that day when he returns and restores everything, but God's still wants to use you to bring rest restoration and glimpses of that restoration, that healing through the goodness that he imparts to you in your life. In Romans 8, 28, a very popular and familiar verse, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He is working He's causing all things to work together. The word there is synergio. It's the word synergy. Or in other words, it means he's working together literally with all things and with us and working to cause those things to come together ultimately for good for those who love God. In other, in other words, he is working everything in order to bring restoration and healing and bring us back to our original purpose and design. Everything in your life he is using right now. No matter how bad it may seem, he is going to use it to bring you back to your original purpose and design. Psalm 23, 6. I love this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We know that verse. Goodness, shall, this, is the good, this is the gift of Jesus. He is giving us restorative goodness. And this goodness is chasing you down, literally. It's, it, it, the, in the Hebrew language, it means that it is chasing you down. This goodness of God is chasing after you. And when we mess up and we fail and we don't get it, guess what? Mercy is coming right after it. Mercy is coming Right after it. And so we see this restorative goodness that's coming after us and, 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 and this mercy that's, that's following it. And see, so let's, let's sum that up. The first thing is, is that God defines what is good. God defines what is good. We don't define it. A political party doesn't define it. The governor doesn't define it. Nobody, nobody else defines what is good for us. God defines what is good. But see, sin, when we talk about what sin is, sin is the absence of that good. And biblical goodness is a restoring back to the way God wants things to be. That's what goodness is. Goodness has power. Goodness has force. And when the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us, we will want to go about like Jesus, doing good and bringing healing to a fractured and a broken world. Now, secondly, the second point about biblical goodness is that biblical goodness is beautiful. Biblical goodness is beautiful. And it's not something that we can just use or practice or do, but it's something, it's something that when you behold it, it actually moves your heart. 
When I think about this goodness, I mean, here lately I've spent a lot of time outside. I've took walks. I've sat out on my porch in my rocking chair. Even today I was walking around in the yard and there's like, there's like this purple flower that I don't even know what it's called. But when I look at it and I look at that color of purple, I know it sounds weird. And here I've been saying stuff lately. People accuse me of being a sissy, but that's all right. The point is, is that there are beautiful things in this world. And when you, when you look at a newborn baby's eyes... When you, when, you, when you look at a flower, when you see the wind just blowing in the trees and there's just a silent sound and you, you, see a, you see a sunset, you start to look at this. Maybe you look at a beautiful picture. Somebody takes a photo and it moves your heart and it draws you in. I watched a movie the other day and I, it's, it was so beautiful. This movie was so beautiful that I literally I wept as I'm watching this thing because I'm seeing the goodness of God. I'm seeing something beautiful and it's drawing me in. And when you catch glimpses of that, it's actually a reflection of the goodness of God that is hiding behind it trying to break into our world. And this is why when you, when you talk about the, the goodness of God, Paul says, I knew a man that was caught up into the third heaven and I, he saw things that were unlawful to say, to talk about, because he saw such a revelation of goodness and beauty that he could not even speak about it in the human language. Now that's amazing. We only catch glimpses of it when we see beauty in this world. But see, goodness is beautiful. And Paul, he uses a lot of the same words that Plato, the philosopher, used. And Plato had a very famous statement that he made. He said, the good is the beautiful. He wanted people to know that goodness contains this thing in it that it, it, it has beauty and it provokes your emotions, your desires, your heart. It moves you on the inside. When people are bored, it's because they are lacking the goodness of God. You, you never get bored when you're filled with the fruit of goodness. You never get bored because you start to see the beauty in the world around you. Boredom is a lack of goodness. It's a lack of the fruit of goodness at work in your heart. The good is the beautiful. Isaiah 61.3, it says... It speaks of Jesus being anointed with the Holy Spirit. And in one place, just one place in, in, in particular, where well, we've got a little issue here, but it says to give them beauty for ashes. To give them beauty for ashes. See, God's desire is to arrest your attention with beauty that comes up out of the ashes. And our minds are stirred and we're drawn out of the brokenness around us into this beautiful thing. And this is why Paul says that whatever is noble, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And anytime we see these things, it just arrests us and arrests our heart and we see that beauty. And it's a witness and it's a signpost to the divine. It's a signpost to God. As followers of Jesus, we are called to highlight the good, the true, and the beauty all around us. And we're to see this broken world. We're to weep over it. But see, we've got to ask the question, God, how can I partner with you to bring beauty from these ashes? That's, what, that, that's where we're at right now. We have to come to a place where we say, God, if the goodness of God is truly in me, God, if you're good, then I'm called to partner with you because I'm not just, I shouldn't just wait on you to do something. God, you've called me. And how can I partner with you to bring beauty from these ashes? And that's what I believe God wants to do in our world. He wants to bring beauty from the ashes of the things that are going on in the world around us. And I think when people look to the church, they should see different images of this beauty in the world. And number three, biblical goodness. Biblical goodness is confrontational. Biblical goodness is confrontational. And we're never going to have a real vision of good 
unless we truly turn to God for what it is to be. But here's the thing, just like I said before, when we finally realize that when God made people, I know a lot of times we don't realize this because we, we actually focus on the other aspect because we know that when it comes to sin and salvation that there is none good, the Bible says. There is none good. And, and what we understand that is that everyone needs a Savior. But that does not mean that there is no good in all human persons. That's not what that means. It means that ultimately there is none that reaches the good that God has called them to be. They've fallen short of the goodness and the glory of God. But that does not mean that they were not created in His image and they do not reflect His goodness to a certain degree. God created human beings and He said it is very good. And when we start to see that this is how God created humanity, it's how He created the world, and when we see evil and the enemy coming in to steal from that, to kill that, and to destroy that image of goodness in the world, man, it should actually cause us to be a little bit confrontational. We were talk, a friend of mine, we were talking about this just the other day, that, 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 that even among young people now, it's, 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 just, it's almost okay to just embrace depression. And just and look, people are depressed, people are broken, and they should be able to talk about those things freely. But ultimately, we cannot embrace evil. We cannot allow that stuff to come up. In, the, the, the goodness of God, when it fills your heart, it gets confrontational in the face of evil. It says, not on my watch. You're not coming in here and impacting my family. You're not getting into my community. You're not coming into my school. You're not coming into my workplace because the goodness of God dwells here. And we push back against the forces of evil that look to steal, kill, and destroy and damage God's image in people. We push back against that. Biblical goodness is confrontational. That's why it says in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't allow evil to overcome your situation. You overcome evil with good. And notice this, it does not say that you overcome evil by becoming angry and loud and boisterous and hollering at people. No, it says that you overcome evil in the world by allowing the goodness of God to flow out of you to others. It swallows up that evil guy named Edmund Burke, he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. In other words, when the goodness, the fruit of goodness is in your heart, it compels you. It compels you to enter into dark situations. It compels you to see the chaos. It compels you to see pain and suffering and move into it in order to bring restoration and healing in that place. It overcomes with restorative justice in the world. And see, good, the goodness shows up in people and, and people that say, you know what, I don't care what it takes. I'm willing to sacrifice myself in order to bring healing and restoration where there's brokenness, where there's poverty, where there's addiction, where there's pain, and move toward, toward it in the goodness of God to bring about restoration. Goodness refuses to let evil have the final word in our society. Goodness moves us, it pushes us, it drives us, and it looks to rebuild, it looks to reclaim, it looks to renew, and it looks to restore. So here's the thing, you got to quit asking why is God allowing this to happen or allowing that to happen and recognize that you are the answer 
that God has placed you in this world and he's filled you with his goodness. And he said, if you will allow that goodness to rise up, I can use you to bring restoration. I can use you to bring healing and release my healing and my life in the world. The parable of the Good Samaritan, everybody reads it, but it's not a parable about a religious person or a churchy person or a distracted person, but it's just simply a person who sees evil and brokenness in the world and is compelled to act. That's why they're called the Good Samaritan. They're compelled to act because they see brokenness. When you see brokenness and you're compelled to act, that is the goodness of God at work in you. That's what God's goodness is. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I'll tell you one thing. I like this verse. I got hung up on it a little bit because, because rather than doing good right now, a lot of the church is actually getting caught up in the ignorant talk of foolish people rather than doing good. And as the church, we need to understand that. We're not called to win arguments. We're not called to berate people or constantly be calling people out. The world is wicked. That's, 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 the, that's the state that it's in. We're called to, by doing good, silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And then the next verse, he says this. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil, live as God's slaves. Now the context of this, in the first century, listen to this, in the first century, the Christians were such a minority, they had no ability to change legislation, law or government, and they didn't seek to do so. Right now I feel like Christians think that it's their number one goal and their number one priority to change government. Even though we want to impact government, we want to change our world. In the early church, they, they believed that there was no way they were going to impact government. That was not their goal. Instead, they let government be government and they decided that they were going to be good. They were going to shine as lights in the world. And ultimately, guess what? Because they focused on doing the good they did impact government and sometimes you got to get your eyes focused on the real thing and you got to put goodness the goodness of God first and see there's many skeptics out there they're opposing the Christian faith but I'm almost certain that it's not our arguments that are going to win people over we're not going to win people by arguing with them or by showing them how we're morally superior or by showing them how we're better or any of those things. We're not going to win them by that way. We are going to win them because we are going to be so filled with the goodness, the fruit of the Spirit, of the goodness of God that it starts to overflow in our lives and they see our goodness, they see our good works when we're doing good and it silences their mouths and they say there's something different about this. There's something going on. They see our actions. They see that flowing forward. And see, here's the thing. We have an invitation to do good, to bring beauty, and even to confront. Ephesians 2.10 says this. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. They're good works that are prepared for you. God looked at your life before the foundations of time, and he said, you know what? I'm going to prepare good works for that person. I'm going to prepare good works for that person. I've got good works prepared for them. Why? Because they're my handiwork. Literally, in the Greek language, they're my poem. I wrote them out, and it's beautiful. And I have good works that are prepared for them specifically. And listen, what, what I do and what I, the, the goodness of God that I'm called to reveal because I'm unique, it, it, it manifests itself in a different way. It may manifest itself in a different way for you. I know people that they, 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 they go to certain places and to certain people. They buy people gifts. They do various things, but they're revealing the goodness of God that God has called them to reveal. And see, you have an opportunity to do the same. One of the greatest gifts in my life is that God delivered me 
from various addictions. And we've got so many people in our church that, that have been delivered from various addictions. And God, because of that, has put them in a place where they can minister to other people who have been suffering with addiction. And some of the greatest gifts of my life is, is, is that fact. I got a message just from somebody the other day and, and, and the Lord gave me the ability to take what he's done in my life and, and, and give that to other people. And I got a message from somebody just the other day that said, you know what? God used, I don't know if you remember me, but a couple years ago, God really used you to help bring about restoration and recovery in my life. And see, that was the goodness of God at work through me to them, man. And it's not, it's not because I'm, I'm any good. It's because I, I've just yielded to the goodness of God. He's overwhelmed me and he wants to use you. You have to ask yourself, God, where are you going to use me? for these good works to come forth? Where are you going to use me to bring restoration and to bring recovery? Matthew 5, Jesus said it like this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. See, it is our good deeds on display in a world of brokenness that set us apart and glorify our Father. When the world sees your good works, it glorifies your Father in heaven. Now, I want to finish right here. and You can put this painting up here. I don't know if you'll be able to see it very well, but this is a very famous painting and it's kind of pixelated. I think it was a redone work. It was the best I could find. But when I, when I was a kid, I remember seeing this because I was thinking about beauty and I remember this painting because I had it on like the background of something on my phone and my computer just because I liked it. It's Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. But I, I read something about Vincent Van Gogh not too long ago. And if you'll notice in this painting, I had never noticed it before and you may not be able to see it, but if you look at it sometime, what you'll notice is that in this painting, he, he did this like in the 1890s or something like that. But in every house... There is light. But in the church, there is no light. And if you read about Vincent Van Gogh, he had a very tumultuous relationship with organized religion. He was not a big fan of it. But what he was saying in this painting was he was saying that he saw more light outside of the church than he had actually seen in it. And that is a tragedy. And we have to understand that we as the church, as the people of God, and I'm not talking about the building. Surely by now we know that that is not what we're talking about. Where We're talking about the people of God who know this God, who is good, who is kind, who is seeking to restore our world, and He's seeking to use us to demonstrate that kindness, that goodness, and be a light in the world. And through our good works, it's going to glorify God. It's going to bring glory to His name. It's going to point people to that beauty that is beyond this brokenness around us and point us to the fact that Jesus is one day coming back to bring healing into this. This is who we are called to be as a church and everything is, is, is coming back into order. I, we got to be safe. We got to be careful. We want to be safe and careful. We want to protect our people the best way that we can, but we are not focused on a virus. We are focused on the God who is in control and has all power and ultimately is the healer of all disease. And we're focused on him because he wants to reveal his restorative goodness in a broken world right now. And we have to be open to that. So right where you're at, I just want to close. I want to pray for you. I want you to be open. And let's just, let's just spend a, a moment here and just, and just have a word of prayer for this goodness to be activated in our hearts and our lives. So Lord, we just thank you, God, that you are good. And we declare that, Lord. And I pray that after this message, God, we have a little bit better of an understanding of what that goodness truly is. Because God, you are good. You are always good. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us now. And Lord, help us 
to receive that goodness and overflow with that goodness, God, because that goodness, it confronts evil and it sees the brokenness in our world and it weeps. But Lord, it's also a powerful force because Lord, in the same way, Jesus, that you went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, Lord, the Holy Spirit empowers us to go forth and to do good. And Lord, I pray, God, help everyone to realize right now this, this, this morning that, God, you have prepared good works for them already. You've got them planned out for them. And so, Lord, help us. We ask you right now, Lord, show us where you're calling us to do good in this broken and this fractured world, to bring healing and to bring restoration. We pray restoration, Lord, into our families, into our communities, into our nation and throughout our world. And as we move back into some form of, of regularity, God, we just pray, Lord, that you would be revealed, you'd be glorified. And Lord, many lives would be restored, many souls would be saved. Lord, we just commit our hearts back to you again this morning and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to people's hearts, that they would give their lives to you, Lord Jesus. Put faith in you for their salvation and your goodness would be revealed to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in with us this morning. We pray that you would stay blessed and we hope to see you very soon.